You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, the number one tax podcast for real estate investors. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. We're breaking our holiday tradition and releasing an episode this week to bring you a very special interview with James Sevatek, who's founder of BNB Inner Circle, co-author of Airbnb for Dummies, and one of the world's leading short-term rental experts to discuss the current state of the short-term rental market, what you need to know about acquiring short-term rentals in 2024, as well as practical tips for optimizing your property and listings to stand out in a crowded marketplace. Ryan and I will also be discussing whether or not the short-term rental loophole is still a viable tax strategy in 2024. If you're considering investing in short-term rentals in 2024, this is an episode you don't want to miss. We'll be diving into all of that in just one minute. After helping over a thousand investors in our previous boot camps, we're excited to announce we're launching our next QBO bookkeeping bootcamp for landlords and short-term rental investors on January 8th, 2024. By the end of this bootcamp, you'll have a streamlined bookkeeping system built for your long-term or short-term rental business. This is critically important because it allows you to improve cash flow, ensures you're not missing out on critical tax deductions, and makes tax filing a breeze. This bootcamp consists of easy-to-learn video lessons, two live Q&As with our very own accounting expert, Taylor Brugna, and a private forum where you get answers to your questions. To learn more and register for the bootcamp, visit www.taxsmartinvestors.com bookkeeping and use the code early at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's www.taxsmartinvestors.com bookkeeping and use the code early to register today. We'll see you there, but for now, we'll dive right into today's episode. Hey, James, thanks again for joining us on the show today. I know you've been on the show before, but for our listeners who may be just joining us for the first time, uh, would you be able to give us a little bit of an overview about your background and how you got into short-term rental investing? Yeah, for sure. So my background, I got started actually managing properties for other people on Airbnb and short-term rental. Started doing that about what, nine, 10 years ago now. And then after doing that for a number of years and getting kind of the coaching space and working with a bunch of property management companies specializing in short-term rentals, I just saw how much opportunity there was in the short-term rental space and how much better properties could perform as short-term rentals versus long-term rentals. And so naturally just started investing and actually purchasing properties for for short-term rental as well. Nice, nice. You work with a lot of people helping them get into short-term rentals for the first time and how to optimize their portfolio. Uh, interest rates have been going crazy for the last year or so. It's the rates that we've seen increase as fast as they did is like unprecedented. And a lot of other things going on in the short-term rental market. Where do you see we are in the current state of the market as of the tail end of 2023 here? Yeah, it's been pretty interesting over the last few years. Like I think the last couple of years here have really been kind of the era of everyone doing really, really well. Like there was just pretty much no way to fail with short-term rentals over the last couple of years in a lot of different markets. And now we're kind of getting hit with a dose of reality where you really need to actually know what you're doing in order to succeed. And that goes for people that already own the properties, just like really need to actually optimize them, like put more work into your pricing strategy or listing optimization, actually keep the properties booked up. It also goes really uh, very much for people that are just getting into it. I do think it's actually a better time overall to get started right now than it was over the last couple of years, just because there is so much fear in the market that there's a lot of really good buying opportunities, certainly a lot more than there were 12 months ago, 24 months ago, 
but still have to really know what you're doing, have to be able to like run good due diligence on the properties and then ultimately still know how to perform with them once you get them. Because it's definitely not as easy as just throwing it up on Airbnb and then you're going to get bookings no matter what, like it used to be. I have clients that I think you would probably say, and we'd agree that they bought towards maybe the tail end of when the market was just doing really, really well. And over the last 12 months, some of them have actually decided, I just need to sell because all of their projections were based off you know, the past few months when they bought it. And now we've come to like a new kind of market where it's, hey, this is the new normal and maybe the pandemic. And you know, there's a lot of factors that played into kind of this spike in short-term rentals and interest rates being low and all those things. But yeah, I actually like what you said there because if people are doing their projections in revenue, based on what the current market is, and maybe what we've seen in the last six months or three months, that's more uh, reality. And if you can still perform well and cash flow meet your goals uh, for the investment, that's actually a better time to jump in as long as it can work with kind of the current market. And I actually like that a lot. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I always recommend that people look back over multiple years when they're running their projections, because that way you can actually see the trends. Like when we were buying, I still bought properties, you know, throughout the kind of bull run that we we had, but I was always looking at, okay, the market jumped 50% year over year here, and then another 20% year over year, and what goes up must come down to a certain extent, right? And then now if you're looking at the numbers, you can kind of go, okay, well, maybe this market dropped by 20%. So let me just factor in to be conservative, another 20% drop in the market year over year. If I look at it, and we're still well above where we were a couple of years ago before the pandemic, I find it's really important to just look at those year over year trends and not just like the last couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. As we kind of like head into 2024, what do you see coming up in 2024 for the short-term rental market based on everything that you, you know, you kind of see? Yeah, it's hard. I, I you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I think that there's a pretty good chance that interest rates are going to be dropping and that's going to be nice for anyone that's in variable rate mortgages right now. Um, I know a lot of people are like looking for that relief and it seems likely that that's going to come down the pipeline in 2024. I think there's also going to be a lot of people that are going to be selling properties that they got into still and that maybe they're still holding on to trying to make the numbers work hoping for for the numbers to work but they're going to have to let them go because i speak to a lot of people who are cash flowing negative on bad investments they made over the last couple of years and so i think there are going to be more people selling and more opportunities coming up for those i think there's also going to be like a lot of good opportunities for properties that are sitting on the market we're not seeing, it depends on the market you're in, but in a lot of markets, we're not seeing the kind of bidding wars that we saw over the last couple of years. So I think in 2024, there's going to be a bit more of that, like property sitting on the market, not being as easy to sell. And that from a buying standpoint is a really great opportunity. And I also think that there's going to be a bit of an exodus of the kind of underperformers off of Airbnb, which is ultimately... I don't think going to make a massive positive impact. I think a lot of people think about it and they go, great, you know, my competition is leaving because they made bad choices. And ultimately, I think that a lot of people that are leaving, they're not really your competition because the people that are leaving are not the people that are getting booked and taking all the bookings for everyone doing really well. So I think there will be a lot of people leaving short-term rental and kind of either going over to midterm or long-term rental, or just like you said, selling their properties altogether. And I think in some markets more than others, it might make an impact, a positive impact for those who are able to stick around, but time will tell. And as people think about acquiring a new property, say in 2024, maybe people are acquiring property at the tail end here of 2023, what would you recommend that they look for 
in a property, if maybe there's some sort of, hey, within the last, you know, 12 months, six months, we've seen this as a really good thing to have if it's like an amenity. And then maybe the opposite of that, what should people be avoiding uh, if they're looking at a property to acquire kind of with the current market? Yeah. So there's a few things that I like to look for, not necessarily amenities, but like I really like looking for properties that have been sitting on the market for a while. Like you can just look and see how long a property has been sitting there. If the property has been sitting there for over 30 days, the longer, the better, there's going to be more room for negotiation on the property. So that's always nice. And I also think that more unique properties are always a bit of a better bet. If you look at markets that are like very, very saturated, like Kissimmee, Florida, like the area around Disney, that kind of stuff, like that's probably one of the most saturated markets in all of North America. And I think I hear a lot of people talking about saturation and worrying about saturation. And I think there are very few markets where saturation actually plays a big role. Kissimmee and that kind of market being one of the few, as long as you're buying unique properties. I think that if you're buying unique kind of more experiential properties, you don't tend to have to worry about that. It's when you buy a property that's just like everyone else's and there's nothing to differentiate you that you can run into trouble. And Kissimmee is one of those, one of probably the only markets I've seen where like I've seen people go above and beyond and do like whole Disney theme properties, like have this, that, and the other thing. And there's just so much of that in that market that like there's almost nothing you can do to differentiate yourself. So there are a couple of markets where you really want to look for, where you really just want to kind of steer clear for the most part, unless you can get a really good deal. Um, and then other another areas, I think that depending on what the draw is to that area, adding unique amenities that are going to make your property really stand out or buying a property that has those unique amenities is really helpful. Unique offers is is always key in, in any business. So I think what we're hearing here today is that short-term rental investors, that this is an actual business, right? The free ride is over. You actually have to do work. You actually have to operate it as if it's real business and look for things that are going to make you stand out in the marketplace. Now, when it comes to the other side, once you have takeover of the property, what are a few things that investors should be doing to optimize that property you know, to maximize their listing so they can effectively stick out in the marketplace with, they can't just take photos on their iPhone, right? Yeah. It's, it's again, it's like you actually have to try, you actually have to kind of know what you're doing. Whereas before you kind of could get away with that stuff. So bare minimum are like having really good photos, professionally done photos, having a really good listing headline, listing description, and having really solid pricing strategy. Those are kind of like your bare minimum. And I would say that 70 to 80% of hosts are lacking in at least one of those areas, most often pricing strategy. I think there's a lot of people, especially right now, who are using very emotional pricing and they're kind of freaking out that they're not getting booked, dropping their rates down really low, and they're having issues there. So having a really good data-driven pricing strategy is one of the basics that I see is kind of missed the most. And then I think in a lot of markets, if you like, if you nail those things, you'll probably do well enough. You'll probably do okay. And if you want to do great, then that's when it really pays to look at like expanding to other booking platforms, like for example, a VRBO or a booking.com. So you can kind of multiply what's working and get more visibility on the property. I generally only recommend doing that once you have something that's working, because if you launch on say Airbnb and you're doing a, a terrible job, you have bad photos, all this, and then you multiply it, you're just kind of multiplying a headache. And then there's other stuff you can do as well, depending on the property, like email marketing to like remarket to existing guests. You could do social media marketing, you can drive direct bookings. There's all kinds of different strategies that may or may not make sense depending on the, the property. But I'd say there's kind of the bare minimum things you have to do for just like listing optimization. 
And then if you want to do better than expanding your reach and having more channels than just Airbnb is helpful as well. Would you say simply using price labs as a revenue management is not a good pricing strategy? Because that's what I do. I just use price labs and I feel like it helps me figure out like, okay, here's kind of your, you know, potential market rate. And then based on that, it's like, okay, here's here's what your nightly day is going to be for every single day. Uh, you feel like there's a lot more involved there that even I'm not thinking about there? Potentially. Price Labs is a really good tool and it depends on how you're looking at and how you're using it, right? I think a lot of people have this idea in their head that one of these tools like Wheelhouse or Beyond Pricing or Price Labs is just going to be, I just sync up my listing one time. I never even have to think about it or adjust anything. And then I just forget about it. And it just like optimizes my pricing. That's and me. I find, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> rarely the case. Rarely <laughs> the case. I find that it's certainly... In most cases, that's better than letting your emotions drive your pricing decisions because people's emotions are probably like the worst thing to rely on. So it's nice that the, it takes into account all the data, but I would say that price labs specifically, like that's, a, that's the tool that I use for optimizing my pricing. It's really good in terms of how you can customize it, what information you can give it to help it to perform better. But you got to remember that none of these softwares actually take into account any of the qualitative aspects about your property. It's all algorithmic. It's all just numbers crunching. And so it doesn't know whether your property has some amenities or some added decor or an added feature that the property next door doesn't have that could allow you to charge a lower rate or that your property is missing some of those amenities that the other property beside you does have. That means you should be charging a lower rate to stay competitive. And so I find that there's some customization and kind of tweaking you want to do to the software to account for that. And then I also think that one of the easiest things you can do with any one of those softwares that definitely helps is setting up custom seasonal profiles. Because if you have your the same kind of mentality or the same philosophy influencing your how you price your property in high season and low season, you're always going to be missing out on opportunities in one area. Because in high season, the name of the game I always tell people is like maximizing your nightly rates. You're in most markets in like a real high season you're going to get booked. The question is how much. And so you want to have more aggressive pricing strategy. And you can do that by just setting up a custom seasonal profile on something like Price Labs and then having your pricing be more aggressive in high season. Whereas in low season, it's not like everyone's going to get booked. And the question is just how much. The name of the game is not having vacancy. So you want to be more conservative in your, in your pricing strategy in those lower season months. So even something as simple as that can make a really big difference. That's great. Do you also do or recommend... Uh, I've heard of like people using multiple different seasons of photos. So like they have different photos for winter months. They have different photos for like the fall and the summer and the spring. Do you do that with a lot of your properties, all your properties, anything like that as like a strategy just for uh, kind of optimizing? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's a really great strategy. Like on the one hand, just updating your listing like that is going to help boost your performance a bit. It's not going to be game changing, but it will help you boost you in the, in the search algorithms a little bit. And then the thing that's really nice about that, it depends, like my properties are in Canada where it's very seasonal. Like we have a summer and we have a winter where there's like proper snow, proper sunshine. And so yep. the people that are booking for winter time, like one of my properties, for example, it's about 10 minute drive from a nice ski hill, right? So, and then there's snowmobiling, there's like ice fishing that people come up for. There's all kinds of like winter activities that draw people to that area. And so when they're booking that stay for the winter, I want them to know that I'm 10 minutes away from the ski hill. So I highlight that really high up in the listing. I think 
wintertime photos of the property are, are nice, but even better than that is like, I have photos of the ski hill nearby. And then in the captions, I say how far away it is. I have photos of snowmobiles on the snowmobile trail. So people know that I'm right by the snowmobile trail. Whereas in the, in the summertime, people want to know that I'm five minutes away from the lake. They want to know that they can go kayaking and paddleboarding. They want to know that there's like nice hiking trails nearby. So I think you can apply that to more than just seasons as well. Like if you're right near a venue, like a, a football stadium during football season, make sure you've got a photo that shows your proximity to that football stadium. If you're right near a venue where a really big concert is coming in, then for the period where people are going to be booking that concert, make sure you've got a photo that shows how close you are to the concert venue. So things like that can really help to ensure that the people that are booking for those like specific events or amenities or, or things nearby are actually booking your place because they, they see how well your place actually caters to whatever that is, the season, the event, whatever it might be. That's a great point. So me and my wife actually went to Gallenberg, Tennessee a few weeks, months ago. And as we were looking for a place to stay, the hosts had like a picture from their place to the national park, uh, Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And that was actually really helpful. And I think that was actually one of the things that made us book with a certain place because we were actually like, oh, this place over here is actually more beautiful. It's a greater view. And they didn't have the whole like distance to the park. When we looked it up, it was like an hour compared to like 15 minutes. But like yeah. just having that comparison, like having that in the photos as you're just kind of scrolling through on your phone or maybe on a computer, that was actually really helpful because that was really important to us. And you just never know exactly why someone's going to book. Uh, and so you having that information in there, sometimes I always see it as kind of corny. It's like, I should just have the photos of the property. Why would I have like screenshots of Google Maps and stuff like that? Like, I don't know why people are coming. And I'm in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So we absolutely have the full, you know, cold and yeah, it's 50 here today, which is amazing. But point being like very seasonal as well. But yeah, having those additional things of, hey, this is why you might be coming here and putting those into the photos. I hadn't really thought to, to do that, even though it's like, well, my I booked a place because they did that. So I should uh, consider doing that. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I always tell people like the goal of your photos should be to, to showcase your place, right? Have really nice photos that showcase the actual property, help guests to envision themselves staying in the place. So that's where stage photos come in and having the fireplace on, having, you know, that kind of stuff. And then the other piece is just answering every potential question that a guest might have. Because I always operate on the assumption that guests are lazy, right? They don't want to go and read through my listing description click the, the show more button if they can find it, read through a whole thing, comb through a paragraph of text. If I can just answer their questions in the photos without them having to read a caption, read a description, figure out anything else, message me any of that, that's going to help to increase conversions. Yeah. So I got a two-star review from someone a few months ago and I talked with Airbnb customer service multiple times and it has not gotten removed. And they even admitted that it was uh irrelevant information back to us. I'm just kind of curious from you wanting to get as many five stars as possible. Uh, if you get a bad review either. So my question is, how do you proactively make sure that guests are thinking five star, five star? Because at, at the Airbnb that we stayed at in Gatlinburg, they actually did a really good job saying, hey, this is what a five star means, a four star, a three star, a two star, one star. And what kind of came clear to us is like, wow, we should just say that and basically say, hey, this is not like a hotel. If you give us anything less than a five star, it's a negative review. And I think a lot of people staying and guests just don't get that, right? They're kind of thinking like more like a hotel and whatever. Uh, but anyway, with your 
wanting to get good reviews, obviously that's important. Uh, how do you proactively kind of do that for hosts? And then if there is one that's bad on the back end, is there something that you're doing specifically on the back end to help get that removed? 100%. So one thing we do, we have automated messaging set up for all of our properties, right? And the morning after someone checks into a property, so they check in in the evening, the next morning, they're always going to get an automated message, just asking them how their first night was. Hey, how was your first night? And in that message, it specifically says, it's super important to us that we deliver a five-star experience to you and a five-star stay. So we want to make sure we know if there's anything at all that you need to make your stay five stars. And we're saying five stars multiple times in there. And we're not saying in a context of like, hey, give us a five-star review. We're saying we want to actually deliver a five-star stay to you and making that really clear. That message, I found what'll happen is a lot of the time if you don't have something like that in your messaging, then you'll have guests that come across this like little thing that they feel like it's so small that it's not worth bringing up. So they won't actually proactively message you and say, hey, there's this thing. Because they're like, oh, I don't want to like bother them or like I don't really want them to do anything about it. I don't want them to come by and fix this thing or whatever, right? But then they'll leave you that feedback in the review. And sometimes they'll like leave a five-star review, but mention this negative thing, which also isn't the greatest. And sometimes they'll just like dock it down a star and they'll give you a four-star review and just mention that thing there. And so I find that just giving them permission to bring that stuff up right after their first night is super, super helpful. Then right after they check out, we also send them that message. It's like, hey, we really value five-star feedback. And you, you can also do one where like you describe where it's like, here's what a five-star is, a four-star, three-star. So they understand it's not like a hotel. It's like, you know, five-star is everything was good. Four-star is you guys sucked at something, right? So making that super clear can also be really helpful. And I find that like, if you have really good guest communication and some of it can be automated, some of it has to be manual, but if you have that good communication, then a lot of times any of those small things that you would normally lose a star for uh, without it, you can just filter that stuff out. So it gets dealt with through communication, doesn't show up in your reviews. And then to the latter point of your question, as far as like dealing with negative reviews. So if ever there's a review, there's a few different ways you can get reviews taken down. One that comes up the most often is retaliatory reviews. So if a guest causes damage to your property, and then you submit a claim, and in retaliation to that claim, they then give you a bad review, you can get that review taken down. And you basically there, you could just search on Google Airbnb retaliatory reviews policy, and then send that article on Airbnb's website to the Airbnb support rep that you're talking to, so that you can actually get taken down. Sometimes it takes reaching out to three or four different support reps, because not every one of their support reps is all that great, frankly. But you can you can get them taken down. Same thing with like irrelevant reviews. So I would recommend in your situation. I would still reach out to maybe two or three more support reps to see and and like send them the link to the article that shows that hey, irrelevant reviews can be taken down off the platform, so that you have a better chance of getting taken down. And then obviously, if it can't get taken down, then the best you could do at that point is just respond to it and respond to it very factually. Don't get emotional. Don't get defensive. That's a bad look. And it's probably going to make things worse. But if you just respond really professionally and calmly, and also just reassure future guests that any real issues did actually get dealt with and they get got resolved, then that's the next best thing you can do. Uh, it's phenomenal advice. It's phenomenal advice. So you, you definitely know what you're talking about. I remember when you did some master classes for our group. Uh, I was sitting there, I was watching them, and I'm like, "Oh, this guy, this guy's the real deal." Um, and I know there's a lot of people in our in our audience, and I know we're going to be collaborating on a few more things in the future. But for those who are looking to jump into the Airbnb game or the short term rental game for the first time, or perhaps they're looking to optimize 
their current situation, what they have going on right now, how could you help them? What would be the next steps they would have to take to to reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. So really the best place to reach out to us is just through our website, bnbinnercircle.com. And that's where we do, we help investors with a variety of different things, whether it's like optimizing their current portfolio, whether it's helping them to expand into scale, whether it's new people that are just getting into the space and want to make sure that they don't make any of those mistakes on their acquisitions and like get the right properties, get them up and running the right way. We basically work with investors on all those different areas, just kind of helping them to optimize everything and make sure that they grow the portfolio to where they want to without a whole bunch of additional headache and wasted time. So if anyone's interested in kind of working with us and learning more, then bnbinnercircle.com is definitely the place to, to check us out and reach out. All right. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and drop that into the show notes. And then me and Ryan are going to jump into a debrief in just a few minutes and let you know if the short-term rental loophole is still a viable strategy in 2024, which I know a lot of people are asking and we'll let you know in just a few minutes. So stay tuned. James, want to thank you again for joining us today. It was excellent as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, real quick, if you're a longtime listener of the show, then you know we give all of our tax secrets away for free, from how to use the real estate professional status and short-term rental loophole to save thousands of dollars in taxes, and just about everything between, we don't hold anything back. And that's because our goal is to help as many real estate investors as possible reduce taxes and build tax-advantaged wealth, regardless of budget. And the only way we're able to help more real estate investors is if you can rate, review, and share the podcast. If you could take that one small action, just drop us a review. It'll take like 10 seconds. It will help more real estate investors become tax smart. We appreciate your support. And now back to the show. All right. So another great episode with James. He is the short-term rental investing expert, uh, helped a lot of people optimize their portfolios. Ryan, what was your biggest takeaway from that episode? I think you have to be optimizing your listing. I think you have to be optimizing amenities that you're offering. I think you have to optimize pricing. Uh, pictures, all of those things. And that was kind of part of his bigger comment for me was making sure that, you know, photos uh, are either one relevant to kind of the season that you're in. We kind of talked about like, okay, do you have, you know, various pictures for different seasons like winter versus summer, right? Then we kind of talked about helping people understand the features that you offer. And he kind of talked about like proximity to this or to that, kind of just showing like a Google map image. So I feel like ultimately, and this is kind of what he does, right? So it makes sense, but helping people optimize their uh, listing in order to stand out, in order to get the best price to get the best people. So that was kind of my main takeaway. Absolutely. Coming down to to treating it like a real business and sitting there and optimizing, you know, unfortunately, the days of going and buying, you know, a standard rental property, whether it be a single family house or or condo and just throwing it up on Airbnb or VRBO and hoping that you're going to make money, those days are over. And it is a little bit more competitive. And you have to just know how to optimize exactly. So that's a big takeaway. Another another takeaway that I thought was interesting was how he looked at it, like when you're making acquisitions, like a lot of people out there think that the short-term rental market is saturated. And you know, James, who's out there, he helps a lot of people get into and ultimately manage their short-term rentals and learn how to optimize. He's boots on the ground. He's actually doing it. He's not just sitting behind a desk analyzing data per se. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you get a different angle uh, when you're actually doing it and helping others do it too. So the biggest takeaway I kind of got from him was like, Right. No one really knows, or in general, it's like no one really knows what's going to happen in the macro economy. And we're at the point now in 2024 where, or going into 2024 rather, where the, the Fed seems like they're taking their foot off the gas in terms of raising interest rates and may even uh, reduce interest rates at some point in Q1. But the reality of the situation is no one really knows what's going to happen in the macro economy. 
So the way I'm kind of looking at the short-term rental industry in general is it's just like any other real estate investment. You have to follow the fundamentals, right? You have to find good markets uh, to invest in. You have to find good properties to invest in. And yes, there's some regulation going on at the local level and the state level, and that's going to probably continue to happen. But if you're buying in the right markets, then you're not going to be facing those types of issues. Like if you invest in vacation markets, for example, those are unlikely to be regulated. And you have to do your own diligence. You have to see what is coming up the pipeline in your specific market. So I think the takeaway, what I'm trying to say here in summary is that from my understanding, what James was saying is that short-term rentals is still a viable investment strategy in 2024. If you take it seriously and you know where to look for properties and you know how to acquire properties the right way and then optimize them to compete and to stand out on these and these short-term rental platforms. You're not just going to get away with just throwing the property up, buying any old property and throwing up. Those days are gone. That's probably the biggest takeaway I took away uh, from this episode. Absolutely. Yep. I know what everybody's waiting to hear a little bit about is, is the short-term rental loophole, the tax strategy, still viable in 2024? And Ryan, I know you're working with a lot of clients on a one-on-one basis. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's still viable. And I think that that it always comes back to being careful that the tail wags the dog sort of thing. That's obviously a common phrase that we talk about and write about. But in the past, it seemed to be a little bit easier in recent past where, hey, you kind of buy a property in in one of these generally, you know, vacation markets, you put it up and you do your best and you're probably going to make money. And like James is saying, uh, and like we have seen, even with clients who are now you know, months later or a year later from that, now we're in kind of basically a different environment. Basically, we have to know that we're going into this to treat it as a business. There is going to be some risk. What if you don't hit your revenue numbers? What if you have to change to a midterm rental or a long-term rental, whether it's because of regulations or it does become a market where you can't keep up, uh, you can't keep up with the amenities or something. So it's, it's absolutely still viable. And obviously the tax code itself hasn't changed. This is still you know legal and all of that as far as viability there. But as far as you implementing it or someone implementing it just for the tax savings, that's where we need to really be careful uh, and make sure that we're not only doing this or primarily doing this uh, for tax savings. I think that's where people get into a bad position and they kind of regret some decisions. I agree with that. I do think it's a viable strategy in 2024, assuming that you're going into it with the right frame of mind, everything we just talked about. You know, you're going into it, treating it like a real business, understanding that it's not really a passive investment for the most part. You have to, first of all, get it. You have to identify the right property, get into the right property. Then you have to optimize your property. And then there's ongoing, there's ongoing maintenance. And I'm not talking about maintenance necessarily as like cleaners. I'm talking about like, you actually have to monitor your pricing strategy, monitor your listings, and you might have to adjust and pivot as you go through different seasons. And as the competition changes their ways too, it's not just like a long-term rental where you can just get in, put a a tenant in there for 12 months. And, you know, for the most part, you know, it's going to be relatively passive. This is an ongoing endeavor and it's not an easy tax strategy to use. It's not necessarily an easy business, right? Right. Uh, So that's something you have to just, if you're willing to treat it like a real business, if you're willing to put the time in and you have the time to do it, uh, it can be a great alternative to a strategy like reps but it's not a free lunch. So you just have to understand that if you're just doing it solely for the tax benefits, your heart's not really in it, I guess you could say, then it could be problematic. But in terms of viability from a tax perspective, absolutely still a viable strategy in 2024, no doubt about it. Yep. 
All right. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you next week, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients, and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.